This is a character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Dealers for a five-point game. They shoot. Deflected away by Tarasenko. And that's going to do it. The Jets are going to beat the Blues by a score of 4-2. to two. Well, I thought we played hard. We're a pretty competitive team tonight. Um, it was a close game, closer than a score. You know, a play here or there makes a difference. You know, the first goal, we can't run to the goal line like we didn't leave the slot open on that goal. And then that late power play goal there, uh, we just got to do a better job protecting the front of the net. That's the bottom line. You know, it's right there to get to a tight game. It's a good game. Chief, yesterday in Winnipeg after the Blues, 4-2 loss to the Winnipeg Jets. Good morning, everyone. Merry Christmas week. Great to have you with us. Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. It's 7.01. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Michelle Smallman, good morning. How are you doing? Good morning, Randy. I'm doing well. How was your weekend? It was good. Just a, a lot of sports stuff was happening. I Lots. was able to uh, to handle uh, Apparently, there was a hell of a crowd, by the way. we should. Uh, Andrew was going to go to the, the pub crawl in the city, and apparently they had too many people for the, the pub crawl did you go first of all andrew and how did it go for you i did go to the pub crawl there were a ton of people and i spent most of my time at one bar which is ballpark village the one that you want to be at because right. that's where all the tvs were yeah the p- parking lots were packed wow there good. were school buses all over the place apparently carrying drunk people all, all over the place so we were uh, trying to go down to either union station or to soulard for dinner before the billiken game forgot about the pub crawl Pub crawl was busy. A lot of drunk people in the city running right in front of cars. Hey, tis the season, Randy. It is. It's the, the season to get a little lit up, it's you know? Holidays. 4-2, the Blues fall yesterday at Winnipeg. And the Blues, hey, a good run and uh, just a one-game road trip. They'll keep this run going, but they won't play again until after Christmas. Yeah, seven-game point streak that comes to an end. I think that we can all agree that... We think the Blues overachieved during that mm-hmm. stretch. I didn't expect them to be able to put up that many points while missing so many key players. But, you know, I, I agree with Chief. This game was closer, I think, than the final score indicated. But it stinks, Randy, that this is the last game that we'll see for a while. Yeah, because of the situation with COVID in Canada, all of the American teams that were in Canada or were scheduled to go to Canada. If you, the Blues, for example, coming home, no games will take place in Canada this week before Christmas. Which is disappointing, and especially for a team like the Blues, who has already gone through this, already gone through COVID with a lot of their players. Well, I guess most teams in the NHL are dealing with this, but you're starting to get guys back. Now mm-hmm. is the time that you would really start to see the team that the St. Louis Blues intended to assemble starting to come together. But if guys were to test positive and then they would have to quarantine in Canada, oh. it's not ideal. So as a disappointing as it is for most teams, but especially the Blues, I think that this is better for everybody so that you don't have players getting stuck in Canada. With all the injuries, with all the COVID, Ryan O'Reilly, how are you feeling about the way that your team has played? Um, yeah, I thought, we, you know, we've worked uh, really hard together, um, found ways to win some games and, and really competed well. Um you know, it sucks tonight. I, you know, disappointed with myself and, and not being able to, especially to get a get a win for Binner, who's, you know, had a fantastic game and been going through a lot. So it's it would have been nice to, to get him a win. But you know, overall, we, you know, we have to regroup, figure out what's going on and, and stay sharp and, and you know, get ready to make our push whenever we're, um, you know, coming back here. 
30 stop shots for Benner, and I think that's interesting that Ryan O'Reilly mentioned that, that that's something that the team, especially him, was wanting to do is to get Benner a win in his time back. As excited as we were about Chucky Sideburns, mm -hmm. I think a lot of the veteran guys were probably thinking about Jordan Bennington and about how this is his spot, even though Charlie Lindgren was very entertaining and very effective for the team. And um, I think that that's a bit of a statement by the captain there that this is this is Bennington's team. And it would have been nice. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. The players feel that way. It would be nice to be able to get Bennington in shape for the Winter Classic. And the next time we'll see the Blues will be next week on the 27th. Hopefully he'll have enough game time so that he can be himself, he can be normal when the Blues play at Target Field on New Year's Day. Yeah, one positive, I guess, from this time is that the Blues are going to have more time to rest, especially yeah. the guys who have been carrying the load a little bit more with a lot of the guys out. So hopefully we see a healthy, rested, and ready-to-go Blues once they get back in action next week. No game against Ottawa. No game against Toronto. Those will be played. Heck, maybe they'll be played during the Olympic break because it really looks like the NHL isn't going to wind up playing in the Olympics now because of COVID and the issues that players, if they test positive in China, have to quarantine for six weeks or Russia. Where are we? We're in Sochi, right? Yeah. So wherever we are. China was last Olympics. Yeah, so they they won't be able to play there. Yeah, they, we're uh, we're boycotting. Our our people are boycotting Russia. No, it's um, in China. 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 So, yeah. Beijing. Yeah. So Emily Kaplan, I saw this last night, had a tweet that said, an Olympic announcement is coming in the next few excuse me, the next few days. Multiple league sources tell Emily Kaplan that it's highly unlikely NHL players will go now because the season has been materially impacted by COVID. So I wouldn't expect to no. see any NHL players go. Football, a lot of teams this weekend had the chance to wrap up divisions. One that did yesterday, kind of got fortunate, was the Green Bay Packers. They knocked off Baltimore 31-30. to Baltimore scoring at the end of the game. And by the way, uh, they they have a young player, a, a young quarterback named Huntley. Earlier in uh, training camp, one of the Ravens players said, hey, you just put a number eight on this guy. He looks just like Lamar. And sure enough, uh, Hunt, Ty Huntley looked great yesterday in bringing the Ravens back. They went for two, though, and failed for the second time in three weeks. John Harbaugh going for two, trying to win a game. And while I don't have any real trouble with the call, I would note that this is a little different than the Pittsburgh game because A, you're at home. B, you've held Green Bay in their last two drives that Aaron Rodgers has had the ball. He's gone five plays, 18 yards, and then a three and out for eight yards. So that's all Green Bay's gotten against you in the latter part of the fourth quarter. And you do have the best kicker maybe in the history of the league in uh, in Tucker. So I, I would think if I were in the shoes of Harbaugh, a little differently than I did against the Steelers, I don't know that I would have gone for two. I think I would have tried to tie it. Do you think that because you had a failed attempt the week before that it might have impacted your decision-making then? Because I, I appreciated that he still was going to go for it despite having a failed two-point conversion the week prior. I, no, that wasn't in my thought process at all. I was just thinking home game, great kicker, defense playing pretty well against Rodgers in the latter part of the game. I, I, I They're... Uh, an analytically driven team. They go for fourth down a lot, mm -hmm. fourth and one. And I, I get trying to get the win, but what that going for two showed me is that he didn't have much confidence in his defense to be able to slow down Aaron Rodgers. Speaking of the numbers, after the game, he said that he believed that the chances were higher for them to win if they went for yeah. it rather than going to overtime. Yeah. So the numbers bear that out. So, but back-to-back -back games now, you've tried to throw it to Mark Andrews and you failed. So 
What happens on the third time when the analytics say go for it? That's a good point. And, you know, <laughs> I, uh, I'm i not a Ravens fan, so I might think of this differently if it was my team that suffered back-to-back losses going mm-hmm. for it. But I, I'm never upset at a coach that tries to win, that wants to be aggressive and play to win the game. And the way the rules are set up, there is a really good chance, kind of like what happened with the Chargers against Kansas City on Thursday night, really good chance that Aaron Rodgers is going to drive it down if they win the toss and get a touchdown against you. I get that part of it. But I would just, uh, if I were him, uh, because of the way my defense is played, and it's really tough, by the way, for this reason, because of the way my defense is played against Rodgers, I would feel confidence in them. Michelle, they had seven. Their top seven cornerbacks were out yesterday. They are ravaged by injuries. Yeah. It's so. unbelievable that, and that I know that everyone's looking at the Packers winning that game, and a lot of people are anointing them as a Super Bowl favorite, mm-hmm. and they look like a really good and complete team. Don't get me wrong, but I'm like, you beat, you almost lost to a Ravens team right. that has been ravaged by injuries and that didn't have Lamar Jackson. Yeah, it's, you know, so there's always two ways to look at a, at a game, and that's. I'm just not as impressed by this victory for Green Bay, given the opponent and everything that they've dealt with. And how great is Harbaugh, by the way? Unbelievable. No Calais Campbell yesterday, no quarterback. He lost his top two running backs coming out of training camp. Uh, Marlon Humphrey is a two-time pro bowler. Marcus Peters is a three-time <laughs> pro bowler. Those are their two starting corners. They're missing Ronnie Stanley, their left tackle. It's unbelievable. By the, by the way, the Packers yesterday with four backups and a rookie on the offensive line. Yeah. And they're on their third left tackle it's just unbelievable the way that teams are are ravaged and still still succeeding in the nfl well it seems like every team whether it's injuries or now guys who are on the COVID list are yeah. just piecing this together right baseball the mets signed buck showalter as their manager no surprise he has been in new york before with the yankees he'll handle the media there well and that's the kind of a hand that they needed running that organization they need somebody just to to build a better culture there. Rather than have the players set the culture, they need a guy like that to set the culture. I wonder if Steve Cohen, the owner, who obviously signed off on this deal and thinks that Buckshell Walter is the guy, will respect him and let him build the culture and not be tweeting about the team and Mm -hmm. not be meddling in this too much. This is one of those, you hired a smart person to do something, step back and let them do it. Great point. Can you imagine an owner tweeting about Tony? No. And oh my Buck, God. Buck is the same way. And Buck, by the way, as much of a control freak as Tony is, Buck is even more of a control freak. Well, that's not going to go over well. And I hope that that was ironed <laughs> out before he signed the so. deal. Did you get a chance to watch any of the PNC Championship with Tiger and Charlie Woods? I did. And I smiled the entire time. It was awesome. It was so great. I love seeing this side of Tiger Woods. I've never seen him be more of a human being than mm-hmm. when he's with his children. And it's amazing. And I know that there is negativity on social media about Charlie Woods. People tweeting, he isn't even winning in his age group in Florida. I actually trust the golf broadcasters and analysts on NBC more than I do a random Twitter guy. The people that are... What? (laughs) Whoa. Yeah. That's a hot take. Thanks, Michelle. (laughs) But when you have veteran golfers saying that his swing is as good as anybody on tour... That's amazing for a 12-year-old. And he's also a 12-year-old who's trying right. to figure it out and work on his game. He's not going to just automatically look like a, like his dad at every hole. But he he does look like his the mannerisms, Randy. Mm-hmm. I've seen it's the videos of it side by side, but watching it in action, whether it's twirling the club or the way he yeah. bends down to, to pick up the, the tee, it's just uncanny. And it's really cool to watch Tiger watch Charlie. Yeah, that's the best part of it. And Tiger hits one off the toe 
and hits it way right on Saturday. And Charlie goes, nice shot. <laughs> <laughs> and how about how Tiger looked? Yeah. I will Starting not be excited. surprised by anything. I, I, we, we can't be surprised by him anymore. Finally, college basketball, the Billikens lose to Auburn. 74-70 Saturday night, up by 13 with seven and a half minutes to go. And they just couldn't hang on whether they ran out of gas. They, they quit pushing. They, they got ahead because they did what Travis Ford wants them to do this year, run. Then they just quit running and they started to run down the shot clock once they got the big lead. And that usually doesn't work. That is a tough loss for the Bills because that's a game. That's a win that could really pay dividends for them come tournament time. I really think, Michelle, it was their last opportunity for a good win. If they don't win their conference now, and the A-10 isn't great this year, I don't think they're going to make the tournament because of the losses that they've endured. When you lose to Belmont at home and uh, lose to UAB and then lose this one, three opportunities for good wins, and they didn't take advantage of any of them. That's the thing about college basketball. Sometimes those early games when you're still trying to find your footing and put, and get that cohesion, that, those are the ones that come back to haunt you. Yeah, and we do have here in St. Louis the Bragg and Rights game on Wednesday night, the 22nd. Mizzou in Illinois, and I haven't seen the odds for that. I'll, I'll bet that uh, Illinois is favored by a pretty substantial margin. I would imagine that they would be favored pretty heavily. Are you excited about it? Always. I love the bragging rights game. It's one of the, the best things on the St. Louis sports calendar every year. It'll be great. And at the same time that Mizzou is playing in the bragging rights game against Illinois, they'll also be playing in the, the the football team will be playing against Army in the Armed Forces Bowl down in Fort Worth, Texas. All right, we're off and running here on 101 ESPN. Coming up on this Monday of Christmas week, start one, bench one, cut one with Michelle, Randy, Andrew on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. I'm ready to go in, coach. Just give me a chance. Character and Smallman. Solid athlete, solid arm. Start one. Warm up. You're going in. Bench one. Mediocre. Hit the shower. Cut one. You're off the team. I put head. What? Start one, bench one, cut one on Character and Smallman. We welcome your texts to the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. Character Smallman and Andrew Marsh with start one, bench one, cut one. Michelle, what do we got? Okay, so this is for both of you because, Randy, I know you don't like to imbibe. But start one, bench one, cut one, holiday cocktail edition. Okay. Spiked hot chocolate, maybe with a little peppermint schnapps in there. Okay. Eggnog, mulled wine. This is easy for me. Okay, go ahead. Uh, hot chocolate is very easy. I think eggnog, I've had it before, and it just is kind of a gross texture for me. So I'm going to go with the wine. and the, I, So I'll start the uh, hot chocolate. I will bench the wine, and I will cut the eggnog. Nice. Andrew? I'm doing the exact same thing. I have to go with the hot chocolate. I've never liked eggnog. I don't know why people do. Agreed. I just, I don't, I don't know what it is. And now sometimes I, I not, what is it? Is it? Bud Light, one of those brands, they have like an eggnog seltzer. Ooh, that's too, we're doing too much. Yeah, yeah I'm Bud like, Light. get that away from me. I'm not about that. Eggnog seltzer, how does that even work? Because the consistency yeah. of seltzer does not match with the consistency of eggnog. No, it's kind of, kind of I, gross. I am intrigued, but not enough to try it. <laughs> Sorry, I will 
get a cl classic ice cold Bud Light. So I'm actually going to start mulled wine. Had some over the weekend, and okay. I was like, this is so underrated. More people need to be talking about how great mulled wine is. I'm going to start mulled wine. I'm going to bench spiked hot chocolate, and I'm cutting eggnog. Eggnog is not having much success in trying to make a team here. Because it's not good. <laughs> I'm with you. Uh, 65780. Okay, kids, we've got Christmas week sports traditions. Okay. Start one, bench one, cut one. Bragging rights game. Okay. Christmas NBA games. Or basically nothing because you've got only the Hawaii Bowl on Christmas Eve. Okay, so I'm definitely starting the bragging rights game because it's a great tradition. And it's... It's not only a rivalry game and the atmosphere is great with half Mizzou fans, half Illinois fans. It's a reunion of sorts mm -hmm. because there's all sorts of people in town for the holidays. So you always are bumping into people you haven't seen in a long time with the bragging rights game. And um, even though Mizzou's taken the past couple, Illinois usually does pretty well in the bragging rights game. I think they will this year, Michelle. I think they're going to do okay. But you know what? I thought that Illinois would beat Mizzou last year. That's they true. didn't. Yeah. <laughs> they got a much better team. Um, I am going to bench... Christmas NBA games because even though I usually don't care that much, it's nice to have on in the mm -hmm. background. And then I will cut the Hawaii Bowl or whatever bowl. All right. I'm actually, I'm going to start the bragging rights game as well. I'm going to bench the Hawaii Bowl because it's really the only thing going on on Christmas Eve. And nobody's ever watched the Hawaii Bowl from start to finish unless you're a fan of Hawaii or one of the teams in it. But it's kind of like nothing. It's basically nothing <laughs> is on, and you can just chill. And I'm going to uh, I'm going to cut the Christmas NBA games, Michelle. I've never seen a Christmas NBA game from start to finish. I did watch a few years ago when LeBron got hurt against the Warriors, but I have never seen a single Christmas NBA game from start to finish. I haven't either, and I I kind of think of it the way that you think of the Hawaii Bowl is. Everybody's around the tree. The fire's mm -hmm. going. You're opening gifts. And it's just white noise in the background. Yeah. You'll look up and say, oh, the Lakers are up by whatever. But you're not really paying attention. Do you guys ever put a Yule log on TV? Just go to the channel that has yes. the Yule log, yes. log and pl pl playing Christmas songs. I, I do love too. a Yule log on loop yeah. on, on the flat screen. Yeah, it's great. great. Fantastic. All right, Andrew, what do you got? Uh, we're, we're talking goats. The goat edition here. Okay. Start one, bench one, cut one. Tiger, Tom Brady, Michael Jordan. Ooh. Uh, okay. Okay, can I? Go ahead, Michelle. Well, this is going to be difficult for me, so I just need to rip the Band-Aid off, Randy. Okay. I'm going to start Tiger Woods because what he did actually changed the game. He he mm -hmm. was a transcendent figure and actually changed his sport in so many ways. So I'm going to start Tiger. I'm going to bench Michael Jordan because he's the GOAT. And he changed sports in a lot of ways, too. Not only with his dominance on the court, but what he was able to do with endorsements and branding and all of that. He, he's the GOAT in a lot of ways. And you know I love Tom Brady, but even though he's the greatest quarterback we've ever seen from a winning perspective, I would say that you could make an argument at least for other quarterbacks mm -hmm. from a skill set standpoint, whereas the other two, I think you'd have a much harder time doing that. So as much as it pains me to do it, Randy, because you know I love TB12, I got to cut him here. I am going to start Michael because he changed the way that we view athletes, just the way that he was marketed, his relationship with Nike, and the fact that he never lost once he made it to the finals. Tiger has lost once he made it to the finals, but 
Tiger, you could make a strong argument, is the greatest golfer of all time. And like you said, he changed his sport. The way that golf, not only golf courses are built physically, but the way golf is perceived, Tiger changed that. He made it accessible yeah. to people who would never think that golf was for them. He made it cool. Yes, he did. And then I'm with you. I'm going to cut Tom Brady. He is among quarterbacks. He's the best, but I can make a strong argument that Eli is better. Oh, really? Has Eli ever lost to Brady in a Super Bowl? Thank you. I think we just say scoreboard here. Yeah, we just did. Overall, though. <laughs> All right, Andrew, what do you got? From the 618, the GOAT part two. Okay. Oh, good. Okay. Jordan Bennington, Charlie Lindgren, or Billy Huso? This is easy. Uh, Charlie Lindgren is definitely my starter. <laughs> no, not really. Sideburns? <laughs> I love sideburns, but Randy, huge sideburns guy. He's uh, he's got five NHL games under his belt, mm-hmm. so it's a little bit early. And once uh, our buddy Joey V said he compared him to his first kiss, sloppy but effective. I got I got to cut sloppy but effective. So I'm going to start Binner, who's got a Stanley Cup championship ring. He's got his name on the cup. I'm going to bench Huso, and I'm going to cut Lindgren, which will be what happens in about a week and a half with the Blues. You know, I'm going to do the same order, although I hate to, because we love Chucky Sideburn. He's great. He, he's great, but I just think you're not going to get the nod over a Stanley Cup champion. And somebody that went on one of the, the greatest runs that we'll ever see. Mm-hmm. I mean, think about some of the, the big moments that Jordan Bennington stepped up in and some of those saves. I, I truly think that even though we're a couple years removed from it, we haven't really savored what he was able to do because he's still playing. This is one of those things that when his career is over and we go back and we have some time removed from it and we watch what he was able to do, unreal. Um, same thing. I'm going to bench Huso, and I'm sorry, Chuck, but... You just, I don't have I don't have a big enough body of work. You had a good run. But love the vibe. Love the love the flow, <laughs> love the style, love it all. All right, from the 636. Turkey, ham, or beef tenderloin. This is a holiday protein. Okay, this is easy. Okay. Start the tendy. We're gonna bench the ham. We're cutting the turkey. I am starting the turkey. I am benching the tenderloin and I'm cutting the ham. Not a ham guy, huh? No. Kind of, again, texture issues like eggnog. Kind of like the, the gelatin in a ham. <laughs> no. You don't like a good Christmas ham? Never have a good Christmas ham. That's why mm. I'm benching or cutting turkey because the, turkey's already had its day. See, but you know? turkey Big. sandwich is... Can't be ugh. all about you turkey all the time. Yeah, leftover turkey is oh, so better than starting ham. Yeah, but this was just Christmas edition. This wasn't day after Christmas edition. Oh, I'm, We're I'm talking day of. Well, even still, day of. Just, uh, I'm, I'm sticking with that. You know, ham did you wrong. I don't think you've done ham correctly. Give me a little ham on a Hawaiian roll with some Miracle oh, Whip. I'll I, take it. I've had plenty of it. So. Just unimpressed. That, uh, totally unimpressed. And by the way, the, the sodium content in ham, Michelle. This is the holidays, Randy. <laughs> Okay. You know, we're not counting All cows. Right, fine. We're not counting uh, cows on Christmas. Okay, so blood pressure doesn't count the day after Christmas. It Great. doesn't. It doesn't. <laughs> we don't count calories. We just count wins. That's maybe. right. That's right. Thanks for your texts to 65780. Coming up, it is week 15 in the NFL. Four downs coming your way on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> And 
it is time now for Four Downs. First Down. What could this be? Super Bowl, but we are talking playoffs. <laughs> no it, doubt. He's still in the playoff conversation <laughs> for the Miami Dolphins, our Miami Dolphins. All of the teams in the NFL seemingly have COVID issues this past weekend. Some guys stepped up when opportunity knocked, like Duke Johnson for the mm-hmm. Miami Dolphins. He became the back that they leaned on. He's a Miami guy, by the way, a local legend, so this is actually a really cool story. But Duke Johnson rushed for 107 yards. He had a career-best two touchdowns. And the Dolphins, our Dolphins, who started the season 1-7, and seven, extended their winning streak to six games. They beat the New York Jets 31 to 24 yesterday and they became the second team in NFL history to get to 7 and 7 after starting a season 1 and 7. They rallied from an early 10 nothing deficit. The Jets actually led at halftime for the first time all season, so the Jets were probably feeling a little confident, but they couldn't hold off the Dolphins. Now, let's look at this group of teams that they beat during this winning streak. The Texans, the Ravens, the Jets, the Panthers, the Giants, and the Jets again. And I know what people are saying. Eh, not really a great collection of teams. I don't really care who the teams are. The fact that they've won six in a row is really impressive. It was an okay day for Tua. Not great. He completed 16 of 27 and 196 yards, two touchdowns, two interceptions for the Dolphins. But keep in mind, he didn't have Jalen Waddell in this one. But when you look at their remaining schedule, Randy, they're facing some good teams. The Saints, the Titans, and, of course, the Patriots. But at 7-7, seven and seven, the playoff talk is still there for the Dolphins. It's a long shot, but it's still there. And beep, bop, bop, beep, beep. If I'm going to do the calculations here really quickly, they stand at 11% according to 538 of making the playoffs. So basically, they just have to win out. Win out and control your own destiny. That's not a problem. Saints, Titans, Patriots? Nothing to it. No big deal. It's the Dolphins. I'm talking Super Bowl. The fact that we're even talking playoffs is remarkable. It's amazing. And a great job by Beeflo because... Most teams, when you get to one and seven, they they cash it in. So, kudos to to B-Flow and the Dolphins. Yes. Second down. Michelle, there are a group of bubble teams that are playing so well, nobody wants to play them come playoff time. And this year, one of those is the Indianapolis Colts. (laughs) On Saturday night, they handled the Patriots 27-17. Now, one of the things everybody who's been around Bill Belichick will tell you is that he will take away what you like to do best. Clearly, the thing the Colts like to do best is run Jonathan Taylor. Try as they might, the Pats put eight, even nine in the box against Taylor, and Colts coach Frank Reich just kept pounding the rock. Taylor took it to the Patriots in the first second and third quarters then in the fourth on his 29th carry that rock broke here's taylor taylor's gonna finish it jonathan taylor to the house good night and interestingly matt eberflus the defensive coordinator we were talking about He figured out that Matt Jones can't throw the ball more than 20 yards. They flooded the zone between the line of scrimmage and 20 yards downfield. They picked Jones off twice. The special teams blocked a punt for a touchdown. And the Colts now hold the fifth seed in the AFC. You know my thing with the Colts has has been, do I trust Carson Wentz? When it comes down to it, if... 
the Colts get the ball, will Carson Wentz be able to make a play? But the good news is, is you don't have to trust Carson, nope. Carson Wentz. Just give it to Jonathan Taylor. No one can stop him. So you're right. That's a dangerous team. Yeah, the old uh, it's the old coaching axiom, run the ball and stop the run. And they can do that. They play good special teams. They don't make a lot of mistakes. They're, they're pretty good. Third down. Randy, how about them Lions? Heading into the Cardinals-Lions game, Arizona was primed to win this one and punch their ticket to the postseason and end a six-year playoff drought. But in a shocker, the Detroit Lions absolutely worked the Cardinals in a 30-12 win yesterday. They, The Cardinals were undefeated on the road. They were favored by almost two scores in this one. But the Lions, they were hungry. They controlled this game, and they controlled Kyler Murray all day. They opened the game with a 15-play, 63-yard drive. It took eight minutes and 50 seconds off the clock, ended with a field goal, and they didn't let Kyler do anything on the ground. He finished with three yards rushing on four carries, and again in a shocker, Jared Goff, actually the better quarterback in this one. He completed 21 of 26 passes, 216 yards, three touchdowns, and he said that after the game, the team is playing for pride, that they really love embracing this spoiler role, but one thing is for sure, Randy, these guys love playing for their head coach, Dan Campbell. To say that I'm proud of you would be a major understatement. Gentlemen, that's a way to just fight one more time. And it pays dividends. You know what we did? We found a way to win the day when we had to do it. We found a way. And, man, we'll talk about the game, but all that later. But let me tell you something, man. Defense, we put you in some hard spots. We put you in some hard spots, and you responded. You responded. Offense, man, we were doing some things. We kind of hit a lull, and when we needed it, we came back. We came out early. And you don't do what we had to do at the end of the game where you're throwing it that much without your own line. This has been a long time coming. This is what makes it great, man. You know what? It's what makes it harder to do, too, by the way. But it's also what makes it great. It's hard to win in this league, man. It's hard, but that's what makes it that much more special. I'm so proud of you guys. It is hard to win in the league. Detroit is the first team to tell you that. But, Randy, I I think we... We almost mocked Dan Campbell at the outset with the biting of the kneecaps mm-hmm. and the coffee and the grit and all of that. But that's genuinely who he is, and he has established an identity with this Lions team that regardless of the circumstances, this is a team that's not going to give up and they're going to fight. And they don't have good players. They're doing it with moxie, they're doing it with coaching, and they're doing it with effort. And it seemed kind of like the Cardinals thought that they could go in there and just throw their jerseys out on the field and win a game. Well... Detroit's still playing hard. Credit to them. And I could easily see that team with the culture that you just talked about ascending next year. This is kind of a runway to where he hopes to take them. Fourth down. Michelle, another team you don't want to see in the playoffs, this time in the NFC, the 49ers. They started 3-5, and five, and now they've won five of their last six. Out of necessity, they put wide receiver Debo Samuel in the backfield. He's run 39 times for a 6.9-yard average and seven touchdowns. The 49ers are 7-4 and four when George Kittle plays, 1-2 and two when he's out. In the last three games, all wins. The tight end, George Kittle, has 28 catches for 435 yards. That's just in three games. In this six-game stretch, Jimmy Garoppolo has led the 49ers to 29.1 points a game. Look out for them. Nick Wagner, ESPN, you agree? If you look at the 49ers right now, there's there's no debating that they're playing their best football of the season. And a lot of that coincides with the fact that they've kind of rediscovered who they are and who they want to be. And that's a 
a physical team that can run the ball down your throat, take advantage of play action, and get some big plays in the passing game that way. And then defensively, they're not the same team that they were in 2019 where they can just overwhelm you with their pass rush in the front four. But what they are is a very opportunistic defense that gets timely takeaways and also is really good in the red zone. We saw it today that the Falcons had three possessions inside the 49ers' 10-yard line and turned the ball over on downs each time. They ran five plays from the 49ers' one-yard line today and weren't able to score a touchdown. So uh, those things are kind of combining to put the Niners in a position right now where, frankly, it would be a surprise if they don't make the postseason, but they're even kind of trending in the direction of being that team that's in the NFC playoffs that nobody wants to see come mid-January. Niners have to go to Tennessee, and the Titans are playing great, even though they lost yesterday. Then they host Houston, San Francisco does, and then they're at the Rams to finish off the season. They'll win that game, so they very well eat. They, they could wind up as a, an 11-win team, an 11-6 team. They are a team that's peaking at the right time. Yeah, and Jimmy G, man, people don't like Jimmy G for some reason. He was two years ago when they went to the Super Bowl. He was second in the NFL in touchdown passes, and the team was second in the league in scoring. Doing the same thing this year. He just finds a way to win games for him. Do you think it's because of his performance in the Super Bowl? I think that has, yeah, one play mm-hmm. in the Super one Bowl. One play, yeah. It's amazing how that can have an effect on a guy's legacy, but it sure does. That's Four Downs with Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Coming up, get your text into the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. Take it or leave it next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Carriker and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Take it or leave it. Give us your feedback now by texting 65780. It's Take It or Leave It with Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Powered by Gloria Lou Realty. Visit GloriaHasTheBuyers.com and start packing. Time for Take It or Leave It on 101 ESPN. And, Michelle, we'll get things started with your former Illini point guard, Darren Williams, mm-hmm. boxing Saturday night in Tampa at Amelie Arena. And he defeated former University of Miami running back and the third all-time leading rusher in the NFL, Frank Gore, via a split decision, 38-37, 37-38, 40-35. Take it or leave it. You're surprised that Darren Williams is a better winner in boxing than basketball. Okay. Um... You know what? I am going to take that, but I'm going to also leave it because there's a caveat. Different sample size here. And Darren Williams grew up as a wrestler. So he wasn't oh, he go. was a wrestler when he was young, but basketball was his love, so he pivoted. He's just a great all-around athlete. Um so I'm not surprised that he's having success in this arena, but I would say in general he's had more success as a basketball player. When he got traded to the Nets, he was supposed to be the final piece of the puzzle. I remember. And then he kind of became like a black hole where he wouldn't stop shooting. He would never adhere to what the team wanted him to do. And He didn't like it in New York. No, he didn't. And he just, he wasn't a really good basketball player, but he wasn't a winning basketball player. And I think that, that makes him a great boxer. You would be singing a different tune if those UNC players had to go to class and yes, they didn't I win would. that national championship game in 05. No just sour saying. grapes here. No, no, just reality. Okay, Randy, so we talked during four downs about our Miami Dolphins. Mm-hmm. Started the season one and seven, six game winning streak. They're now sitting at seven and seven. Just a great piece of coaching by their head coach, Brian Flores. Take it or leave it. 
When it's all said and done, Brian Flores will be the guy who had the most success in the NFL. Now, that's an important caveat because obviously Saban is Saban. In the NFL out of any Belichick assistant. I will 100% take that because there really isn't an awful lot to overcome. I would say that uh, Bill O'Brien probably is the only guy that's finished over 500 in that group. Eric Mangini was a failure twice. Uh, Romeo Cronell was a failure on multiple occasions. Uh, it, it just has not. Josh McDaniels was a failure in Denver. It has not. Uh, Joe Judge right now with the Giants. Adam Gase. Yeah. So I, I will 100% take that. Yeah. B Flow is going to be the guy. Yeah. And again, this is NFL. Mm-hmm. And I was yeah. Nick Saban, not a great tenure in the NFL. So I think he's going to do it. I think he's a really good coach. I do too. I'm with you. All right, Andrew, what do you got for us? Yes, from the text line, 314, take it or leave it. Tiger will win at least one more major in his PGA career. I want to take it so badly, so I'm going to take it. I want to take it as well, but I'm going to leave it. I don't know that physically he'll be able to pull it off. Just walking a course for four days in a row is going to be really difficult for him. But it hasn't even been a year, and he's already out there competing again. And granted, it's different, and I did see him wincing a few times off some shots, but... Think about the fact that he's already out there competing already. What is it going to be like after a couple years where he builds up a little more stamina Mm -hmm. and has been out there longer? I'm just not going to put anything past him. I'm rooting for him. I hope he does. But it just seems to me like at the age he's trying to come back and with the competition that he has to deal with on the tour now, it'll be really difficult. Take it or leave it. If he wins another major, that will be more impressive to you than when he won the Masters after, after having that big drought. I'll take it. If he wins another major, it'll be the greatest sports story of all time. All right, this one could be controversial, but from the 314, take it or leave it, Charlie Woods would beat Randy at golf. I'm going to take that, Randy, and I'm sorry. No, I'll take that. I'm sorry. He would destroy me. This isn't controversial at all. (laughs) Love you, Randy, but Charlie's good. If he has a swing that's as good as anybody on tour right now at the age of 12, yeah, he's going to destroy me. And, you know, I think it's going to come down to poise, and I think it's going to come down yeah. to the mental aspect of the game. Yep. I don't. I just see him with the steel trap mind like his dad and not falling apart, even if he has a bad shot. I'm with you. I think he would. I don't know, Randy. He, he played pretty well the other day, I thought. I didn't play Charlie Woods well, though. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. <laughs> All right, from the 217, take it or leave it, Sonny's absence had a huge impact on the Blues' performance yesterday. Yeah, I'll take that. He, he just seems, as Baruby calls him, he's kind of the engine. He's the engine. Feels like that guy. When he's not there, you feel his absence. Right. Doesn't he feel like the heart and soul of the team? Mm-hmm. Like the heartbeat of the team? Yeah, he's kind of like the quintessential blue. He really is. The quintessential Craig Baruby blue. Right. All right, take it or leave it. From the 217, the Steelers will win two of their remaining games to keep Mike Tomlin's streak of never having a losing season intact. Their games are at Kansas City, Cleveland, and Baltimore. And they have to win two? Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think they're going to win at Kansas City. I don't Cleveland either. and Baltimore are options, but I don't think they win both of those. I don't either. I, so I'm going to leave it then. I'm with Same. you. I think they'll take one of three. Who do you think they beat, Cleveland or Cincy? Or uh, Baltimore? Cleveland or Baltimore? Well, it depends on the injury status right. and the availability. But I think Cleveland, maybe. Cause I, I, I'm with you there. Because Baltimore, even though they're so banged up, almost beat the Packers. So unreal. 
All right, from the 618, take it or leave it. A disappointing season for the Cardinals will push Nolan Arenado towards exploring free agency. I'm going to leave that. I think that he knows that, and disappointing is relative, but he and his agent know that at the age of 31, going into his age 32 season, that there's not going to be a team that is going to give him that much money that is going to be as consistently competitive as the Cardinals are. I also don't know why we would just assume that the Cardinals are going to have a disappointing season. No, this is just in the event that the Cardinals would have a disappointing season. Yeah, I I don't think that he'll leave. I think he's here for the long haul. Yeah, he's paid attention to the last 20 years. And he, he understands that many more times than not, he'll have a chance to win here than he would if he would go to the Twins or the Rays or whomever, unless it's the Dodgers or the Yankees. And apparently he's really not a huge fan of New York. But the Dodgers, I think, are going to be pretty well taken care of. Do you think fans, Cardinals fans, believe that the Cardinals are like a game of golf where, like, for the majority of it, it's very frustrating, and then there's something that happens, like, towards the end of the round or towards the end of the season, you're like, hmm, it keeps coming back. You got me. I'm coming back. Oh, yeah. As, yeah. as the guys say, they're a second-half team. They always, down the stretch, find find a way to get a push or to have a historic winning yep. streak or be in the conversation for the playoffs. And that's what we want is we want teams that are competitive and that could have the chance to win. And here's the thing. Players want to have a chance to make the playoffs. And the reason that Goldie is here and the reason that Arenado is here is that since the end of the 2010 season, the Cardinals have played six games where they didn't have a chance to make the playoffs. Four in 2016, two in two, or one in 2017, one in 2018. Those are no, two in 2017, none in 2018 because game 162 was for a chance to make the playoffs. So six games in 11 seasons where they have not had an opportunity to be in the playoffs. Six meaningless games in that time. That is a remarkable statistic. Yeah, and players know that. They know that the Cardinals are going to be in the hunt mm-hmm. because they're pretty good at that front office. You might hate them, but they're pretty good at what they do. All right, since it's almost Christmas, it's almost the holidays around that time, shopping at the Galleria during the holidays, mm. and that traffic is worse than a St. Louis Blues game day traffic. I'm oh, taking take it. Take that, taking 100%. It, taking it. I had to go to the Target in Brentwood mm-hmm. over the weekend. And when I tell you anxiety through the roof, it was through the roof. It was one in, one out to even park your car. It's a madhouse over there. And at least at the Blues game, people know where to park. The the traffic is flowing because people are wanting to get in. You're parking. There's, There's going to eventually be a lull while the game's going on. No, not over in Brentwood. It's a nightmare. But it's the holidays. You got to expect it. I, you one do, time, but one, my one, gosh, I, just, time, I need to get. Yeah. I need to pick up a few things, return a few things. It was. It was a disaster zone. Yeah. One time uh, we were in New York for the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade, and then Black Friday, and uh, like Fifth Avenue on uh, Black Friday was unbelievable. But that's part of what makes Christmas great. We're, that's what we miss with Amazon is that we don't get an opportunity to be out and smile at the crowds.
well, we can't smile because we're wearing masks, so miss me oh, with the smiles. Sorry. And you know what makes me smile? Sitting on my couch with the tree going, cup of hot chocolate in my hand, click done, deliver to my house, n- zero anxiety. I'm relaxed, cool as a cucumber. But what about interacting with other human beings during this holiday season, the season of joy? Oh, you mean when everyone's angry and pushing you out of the way and trying to snatch things out of your hands? Randy, I went to look at Christmas lights over the weekend. I went to Candy Cane Lane, first timer, had never done it. You want to talk about traffic and people trying to get in there to go down this one street nuts i saw two cars almost get at it i was like is oh, this wow. a do i need to film this on my phone happy holidays guy was hanging out of his car flipping people off he had a car full of kids he was honking his <laughs> horn yelling i was like tis the season come on right i'm with you come well, on pe- let's let's be nice let's be happy let's people have fun are not spreading the yuletide cheer not. the way that they should be so i will avoid the traffic All thank right. you thank you very much for the texts 65780 on 101 ESPN. Coming up, the Mets hire Buck Showalter. Is going old school the way to go now? That's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. A fresh perspective on the day's biggest stories. It's Character and Smallman's Fresh Take. Brought to you by Schnooks. Get the app that gets you. Download the Schnooks Rewards app today. Taken over four organizations and in short order has turned them into winners. Three of those teams have gone to the playoffs, and I'm not sure that any team had as much talent or was as close to being ready to win as this group is with the Mets right now. So it was the right way to go. Buck is going to bring a lot to this team, a lot to this organization. That's Mets reporter Steve Gelbs on 101 ESPN, where it's 8.05. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. So, Michelle, the New York Mets hire a real manager, somebody who is not controlled by the front office, somebody who probably would resist if the general manager would come down and say, here's your lineup for tonight. And this follows in the footsteps of... Brian Snitker and Dusty Baker managing against each other in the World Series. Two old school managers. And we've had baseball people on here before saying, I think at some point it's going to swing back and the analytics aren't going to be as big because old school does have a tendency to work. I wonder if this is just following in those footsteps or if this is just Steve Cohen wanting to get the biggest name available. I think it could be a little bit of both. I think that he wants a big name, but he also wants someone who he knows can come in, who's a proven winner, and who can come in and establish a culture because that's what the Mets desperately need. Mm -hmm. They need some stability, and they need an identity and a culture, and Buck Showalter is going to give them that. However, Steve Cohen has to then understand that he's made a very good decision here and step back and allow Buck Showalter to do his job. And that's a key, and hopefully... Sandy Alderson and Billy Epler will be able to convince Cohen to stay off Twitter in terms of his criticisms of the players. For him to be a fan and say he likes the black jerseys, that's not a bad thing for an owner to do. But to go on and criticize on Twitter your players as being ineffective despite their high payroll, that's something that Buck Showalter doesn't need. He doesn't need that sort of issue 
arising in his clubhouse because it is going to be his clubhouse. And if there's a problem with Francisco Lindor not hitting or with Starling Marte making an error in center field, that's something Buck Showalter will take care of. And by the way, in the introductory press conference for Max Scherzer, he felt obliged to stand up for Buck Showalter and basically say, yeah, this is the kind of culture that we need. Buck is the 24th winningest manager of all time. He has 1,551 wins. He's behind Tony Francona, Dusty Baker, and Tony Larusa among active managers. So he definitely brings some cachet. And I think one of the keys, Michelle, is that he was 35 when he got hired by the Yankees back in 1992. And he's experienced the New York media, but then dealt with the media in Arizona and in Baltimore and worked with MLB Network. I believe that his knowledge of the media will be a huge benefit for that clubhouse. He'll be kind of like Joe Torre, I think. I agree. I think this is a great hire for so many reasons. And hiring somebody like Buck Showalter, especially for a job like this in New York, I think is really interesting because there is a lot of highly paid talented guys on that team mm-hmm. that need to mesh. But Randy, a guy like Buck Showalter or a guy like Tony LaRussa or a guy like Dusty Baker, when you hire somebody like that, they're a seasoned guy who's been proven in this league and they become the face of your franchise. Even though you have a lot of mm-hmm. highly paid players that also are co-faces of the franchise, it's not like a lot of these other uh, organizations that are hiring these young play, uh, former players or these young guys who basically are going to come in and do whatever the front office tells them. You're hiring this person because you're giving him a certain percentage of control. And I think that that's going to be an, a very interesting thing to see how this plays out because Buck Walter, even though he embraces analytics, he is a guy that in many uh, interviews has talked about how he still needs to make decisions based on mm-hmm. what his gut is telling him and that these are human beings and he's going to make decisions based as such. And if he's able to have success there in this market with a lot of star players, I wonder if this is going to be yet another thing that tips that conversation in uh, how much are we relying on analytics in that conversation. Um, and here is a guy that, as we mentioned, 24th in baseball history in wins, but one move haunts him. He's defined by not bringing Zach Britton into a playoff game, and Britton does have to pitch in that game. This can change that narrative, but I think the most important thing here, and Billy Epler, by the way, is from the Brian Cashman School, and Cashman insists that he doesn't tell his managers what to do. But remember, again, in Scherzer's press conference being introduced as a member of the Mets, when he essentially threw the Dodgers under the bus saying, they were limiting me to 100 pitches, and I can't do that. I need to throw 120 pitches to stay in shape. Buck Showalter is going to allow Max Scherzer to throw 120 pitches. He understands the the, the two things that we talked about last week. The Tony La Russa, they're men, not machines. And by the way, that's something that our friend Mike Schilt says, too. And then Joe Torre, the game has a heartbeat. And... Buck Showalter does understand that he's dealing with human beings and that he's not dealing with robots. And how many of of the front office executives that say, we don't tell the managers what to do, then if you ask them if it was a collaborative Mm -hmm. decision that was made, they'll they'll frame it in different ways where we're making this decision together, but essentially we're putting the sheet in front of them and telling them that this is what we'd like you to do. Yeah, it's a collaboration in that we told them what to do and they said yes. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. (laughs) We're not telling them what to do, we're strongly 
suggesting it. Now, when you look at the additions for the Mets of Mark Canna and Starling Marte and Max Scherzer, and there's still moves to be made, but they've got Pete Alonso, they've got McNeil, who led the league in hitting just a couple of years ago. They have Francisco Lindor. Behind Scherzer and DeGrom, not great, but they've still got Carlos Carrasco, who can pitch, and some other good starting pitchers. Even though the world champions are in that division, do you think the Mets are the favorites in the NL East? There's a lot of talent there, and I think that this hire makes me lean that way. Now, once the lockout is over and you see a couple other moves that teams will make, I think then we'll have a better or a clearer view of how we're going to assess this division. But I really like this team, Randy. There's a lot of talent there, and I think that Buck Showalter will get a lot of this talent playing as just that as a team, and that's kind of what they need. And I, th- I think he comes in with mm-hmm. cachet and respect, and even though Francisco Lindor is making more money than God, I think he's going to defer to Buck Showalter and respect him. Yeah. And I, I don't know. I think that if everybody can get out of their own way there and listen to him, I think that they're going to be a team that uh, could be a force. I really do. And once you get into broadcasting, you aren't going to make as much as you did before. So I get that uh, Francisco Lindor is making more than Kurt Warner these days. Because um, you said he's making more than God. Kurt Warner's not God, Randy. Oh, he's just the Savior. Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. <laughs> he's just, uh, he's a man of God. Yes, he is. He brought both the Rams and the Cardinals to the Super Bowl. Who else could do that? Mm, <laughs> pretty impressive. <laughs> that is. Pretty impressive. Here's the thing. I think the key to that division is going to be Mike Soroka because Morton will come back. I, I would think that he'll be healthy. Um, Max Freed is terrific. Ian Anderson is terrific for Atlanta in their starting rotation. But you'll need to stack up to that Mets starting rotation. And I think Soroka, and obviously the health and success of Ronald Acuna Jr. Yes, is going to play a big role. But I'm with you. I kind of like the Mets. And maybe it's the sexy thing. Maybe it's just a splash of what they're doing. But I like them a lot, too. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. And that is today's Fresh Take on 101 ESPN. Coming up, we will be joined by the voice of the blues. Chris Kerber is next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. This is Carriker and Smallman. We're talking everything St. Louis Blues as we head into the Blues booth. Brought to you by Boardwalk Hardwood Floors. Great floors for every home with locations in Crestwood, Manchester, Overland, and St. Peter's. And online at BoardwalkHardwood.com. The Blues were going to play a couple of games in Ottawa, this in Ontario this week. One game in Ottawa, one game in Toronto. But the league has determined that no crossing of the border after today. So the Blues games against the Senators and the Maple Leafs have been postponed. The voice of the Blues, Chris Kerber, joins us now on 101 ESPN as he does every Monday. Kerbs, good morning. How are you doing? Randy, doing awesome. Thank you very much. How are you? Everything's terrific. Uh, number one, let's start with this. Is this a good thing for the Blues with the injuries, with the COVID? Is missing games at this time of year and playing them later a good thing? Yeah, you, you know what's kind of amazing is I believe the Blues have had the second or third most total man games lost due to COVID protocol. And until this adjustment of the schedule, no game had been missed, which is really quite impressive when when you think about it. And... um I think really when you look at that game yesterday, the the risk, Randy, was 
the team was enhanced protocol after the Oscar Sundquist uh, testing positive results. So the league basically said, look, you've got to test everybody in the traveling party every single day. When, when that happens, for, for fans that don't know, and we were part of it on the trip to Florida, you're just the level of intensity rises a little bit, vaccinated or not. I mean, I, even – I mean, I had had the booster shot even, uh, and, and was you know two weeks after that before we went on that Florida trip, and they were testing us every day. You're still going, okay, is it possible I'm positive because you're seeing all these other positive tests, and you, and you wait, and then you find out, okay, no, you're negative. Well, on this trip, especially with Christmas looming, a lot of these guys are leaving family. They're going up north of the border, and if they test positive, the question was, how do you get them back home? And, and it was raising, I think, the level of angst of a lot of players, not just here with the Blues, but around the league. And the issue is not so much, you know, a team being able to get somebody home from a city. The issue is the actual border rules well above the level of the National Hockey League, whether it be what the United States rules are or what the Canadian rules are. And I think the league, after assessing all that, looked at it and said, look, this is going to impact five or six games. But any cross-border games doesn't make sense going right into the Christmas holiday because I don't think they were sure that they could get somebody home if they did test positive. So I think it was a good call for the Blues. I think it's a great thing. It allows uh, some of the unhealthy guys uh, to get uh, back and healthy. It's only the two games. They'll find a way to work those in. I think the Blues have done a pretty good job. They played more games than some of the other teams anyway. So I think this actually is a positive on a lot of fronts. Along those same lines, Curbs, it seems highly unlikely that NHL players are now going to go to the Olympics because I can't imagine that the league would want to risk anyone testing positive there and then having to stay there for weeks. Yeah, and, and again, you're, you're dealing with governmental regulations. So at least with the way, you know, from what we understand from the reporting, you know, is, is you might have to quarantine for anywhere from three to five weeks if you test positive while you were over there at the Olympics. And you're right. I, I can't see anybody wanting to do it, especially if it means you're losing pay here because you couldn't play uh, because of that positive test. So uh, a lot of reports started to surface last night that the NHL would not be going to the Olympics. Some some mentioned the fact that, look, we, because of some of these canceled games, you're going to need to fill in some of those three weeks off with some games to keep the schedule going. And I think a lot of that is still going to be sorted through. This was negotiated in the CBA, so it's not as easy as the NHL saying you're not going. I mean, I think Gary Bettman, when he said, look, it's really up to the players here, that's the promise we made him, uh, I think he's going to stick by that. So we'll still have to wait and see how that plays out, Michelle. But, uh, yeah, it, it's looking less and less likely that that would happen. Or even if it does happen, I think it's looking less and less likely that every player would decide to go. And, Curbs, it's really interesting to me that – We've been talking about the possibility of the NHL using that Olympic break to fill in some of the dates that they have uh, for the Olympics. Uh, Use the Olympic break to put some of the suspended games in. I'm looking at the Social Social Bank Arena calendar right now. That's where the Maple Leafs play. They only have six days during the Olympic hockey schedule. It's the 9th, 10th, and 11th, and the 17th, 18th, and 19th where that building would be available. And I would think around the NHL, and especially in Canada, you're going to have Elton John. You've got him on tour. You've got NBA uh, action in Toronto. You're going to have a lot of buildings where you're going to have limited ability to put hockey games in there. Randy, you're absolutely right, and that's that's just one of the challenges that, that scheduling games or adjusting the schedule to fill in what was originally considered the Olympic break. 
doesn't necessarily make sense. A lot of buildings have filled in concerts. Some some buildings have more than others. Uh, then it's just simply you know, the the travel part of it. It's uh, our hosts our hotels available in certain cities. Um, you know what what does the schedule look like? What does the travel look like? Can you get a team there? Does it make sense from from a travel standpoint? There, there are so many different factors that that are involved there, and that's why even when the, the league had to finally come out with a schedule before it was determined whether or not they would officially participate in the Olympics, they just had to say, Hey, look, we, we've got to build for one thing. And, and if it doesn't happen, it doesn't happen. But you know, the contingency plans were, were all over the place. So not every building has, has got the same availability and many of them because of the dual purpose or multi-purpose of concerts, other sports, many of them don't have regular availability. And, and then on top of it, like I said, you know, this was something that when the when the CBA was extended during the, the, the first part of the pandemic to help, you know, the business side of this work, the Olympics was something that was negotiated in there. And so it's a, there's, there's more triggers that I think that have to be pulled here uh, to make this either go one way or another. Curbs, Jordan Bennington returned to the Blues after being out on the COVID list. He stopped 30 shots in the game yesterday. What did you think of his first performance for the team since November 30th? I, you know what? Look, I, I, that's, that's hard for a goaltender, I think, to come in and, and put yourself in that situation. And I, I thought he played pretty well. I think, obviously, he probably wants one of those back. I think most goaltenders want all of them back. Um, having said that, I just look at the overall season and I haven't, you know, being that we just can't get into the locker room, right, I haven't been able to have the kind of conversations that you would normally have. I think out of his 18 starts, three or more goals have gone in on 12 of them. And it's been one of those unusual years where you're looking at it and you're facing 35 shots. You're going, man, you made some amazing saves because it could have been a six-goal against game and it was only three. And yet it's still three goals going in. So, you know, for me, I, I, I think there's still another level this season for Jordan Bennington, and I think he will get there. Uh, his competitive level, you know, is without a doubt high, and, and he's such an emotional player that he gets revved up, he gets fired up, and, and I think that's one of the things that fuels this team. But I, I do think he, I would like to see a run in there at some point in time where, you know, you're seeing a, a – more of the, you know, four out of five games played, you're holding the opponent to two or fewer goals. And that's something that I think, uh, you know, he, he'll be striving for as he gets more play in the second half. The Blues' next game now is one week from tonight, a home game against the Devils. I want to see John Gillies start for the Devils in that game. <laughs> Wouldn't that be something? I mean, that, listen, there was a game earlier, and it was in the minors where Charlie Lindgren was starting for the Springfield Thunderbirds. And Gillies was on the bench as the backup goaltender for the Providence Bruins. <laughs> and then they, and then you know when the Blues signed Gillies, Gillies was the teammate, you know, to get him done. And now, now, now it could happen again. But yeah, that wouldn't that, wouldn't that be something else? I mean, it's been such a crazy, crazy stretch here. And you know, for the Blues, I think I, I got to go back and look at the math. But it's like five times in the last eight or nine games now. You've you've had to play short, short of forward and. And they've managed to get through it. To only have the one regulation loss in your, in your last, what, eight games and, and nine wins in, in your last 12 or 13, it's, it's really been a, a good run. And the crazy thing is, look at, look at the standings. You had to go on that kind of run with those kind of roster challenges just to keep pace. Right, yeah. 
I mean, yes, you did gain some ground. At one point, you were six points behind Minnesota. You did gain ground, but you haven't caught them yet, and you're still right there with Nashville, and, and Colorado's on your heels, and, and they've got games in hand. It's, it's crazy. Hey, Curbs, one more thing. The Winter Classic, obviously, Saturday, January 1st in Minnesota. Is the plan right now to have you and Joey do the broadcast at Target Field? Absolutely. Nothing's changed on that front as far as I know right now. And, uh, you know, I think one of the cool things is I think our broadcast position might actually be right down on the glass. Awesome. Oh, so, wow. yeah, uh, it, it'll be kind of cool to, to be down there. It, it's going to be a little bit cold, um, <laughs> just a tad cold. I mean, I, I pretty think at that time of the winter, doesn't Minnesota become part of Canada? Yeah, it's yeah, basically South yeah. Canada or yeah, it's, Ontario's North Minnesota. Yeah, it's not the land of 10,000 lakes in the winter. It's the land of 10,000 rinks. You know, I think it's, <laughs> at that point, it'll be, it's going to be cold. It's going to be awesome, and I, and I can't wait to be a part of it. Should be fantastic. Curbs, as always, thanks very much for the time. Enjoy this brief break, and have a very Merry Christmas. Yeah, you as well. Randy, thanks for delivering the carrot cake last night. It was spectacular. So uh, we appreciate that effort. Uh, Merry Christmas and happy holidays to you and everybody listening in, and, and have a safe week. All right, my man. Take care. That is it. the great Chris Kerber on 101 ESPN. Back in action a week from tonight, so the Blues don't have games tomorrow or Wednesday against Toronto, and then they'll be home against the Devils on the 27th. Coming up next, we have The Fight on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Welcome to the fight on Character and Smallman. In the red corner, average Joe listener. And in the blue corner, the undisputed king of morning drive. Please welcome Randy Character. It is time for the fight on Character and Smallman here on 101 ESPN. We're welcoming in a return fighter. Gabe is with us, and he beat Randy on Friday. It was quite the fight. Randy changed his his answer on the final question, therefore giving Gabe the victory. Good morning, Gabe. How you doing? I'm great, Michelle. I'm uh, I'm I'm glad to be here and feeling a little fortunate after Randy's uh, change of heart. I love it, though, but you had the entire weekend, Gabe, to bask in your victory. That had to be pretty fun. Yeah, um, my wife and kids and a couple of buddies, uh, they, uh, they really enjoyed it. Awesome. Well, I hope they're listening now because I have confidence in you, Gabe, and you're about to win again today. Well, I appreciate it. We'll see what happens. All right. Question number one for Gabe. Again, he's back after beating Randy on Friday. So if he wins today, he's one step closer to the Hall of Fame. But here's question number one. Patrick Mahomes' father, Patrick Mahomes Sr., pitched for six Major League Baseball teams. Which team did he debut with in 1992? Was it the New York Mets, the Minnesota Twins, or the Texas Rangers? I think the Minnesota Twins. I'll go with that. All right, Gabe, what 2019 Masters runner-up ended up winning the green jacket the following year? Was it Brooks Kepka, Dustin Johnson, or Xander Shoffley? Can you give me those answers one more time, please? We have Brooks Kepka, Dustin Johnson, or Xander Shoffley. I think Dustin Johnson. Question number three for Gabe. Who is the oldest manager in Major League Baseball? Is it Dusty Baker, Tony La Russa, or Buck Showalter? I believe it's Tony. All right, Gabe. 
The 2018 Winter Olympics featured no current NHL players. What former blue led Team Canada with seven points during the games? Was it Maxim Laperriere, Marcel Gotch, or Derek Roy? Oh, man. Uh, let's go with Derek Roy. Ooh, Gabe with the strong performance again. Waving in Randy. Gabe, how you feel? Uh, not as confident as Friday, but I guess we'll see what happens. You should, my friend. You should. Randy whistling on his way in today. Happy-go-lucky on a Monday. How you hey, doing? I'm doing good. Please say good morning to Gabe. You remember him. He beat you Friday. Yeah, Gabe, how you doing? How was your weekend? That was good, Randy. How about yours? Everything was terrific. Thanks. Thanks for listening and thanks for playing. Sure. Thank you. Are you ready, ready. Randy? Mm-hmm. Question number one. Patrick Mahomes' father, Patrick Mahomes Sr., picked excuse me, pitched for six Major League Baseball teams. Which team did he debut with in 1992? I believe he debuted with the Minnesota Twins. All right, Randy, what 2019 Masters runner-up ended up winning the green jacket the following year? 2019, so it would have been the 2020 winner. Um, And it would have been the Tiger one in 2019. Who won the Masters in 2020? Uh, um, I guess I'll do the old lifeline here. We have Brooks Kepka, Dustin Johnson, or Xander Shoffley. Hmm. I th- I'll I'll go with. Uh, I don't think Kepka won that Masters. So, I'll go with, uh, I guess I'll go with DJ. Randy, who's the oldest manager in Major League Baseball? Tony La Russa. All right, Randy. The 2018 Winter Olympics featured no current NHL players. What former blue led Team Canada with seven points during the games? Hmm. A former blue led Team Canada with seven points during. I didn't even know we didn't... uh... Have Olympic players then. Um, a former blue. I will go. Let me think about a guy who may have played with the. Let's see, recently guy. Um, I'm thinking of guys that are too old, probably. Um, I don't even know. Um. I will go with, uh, <laughs> this is crazy. I don't even know why I'm thinking about it. I don't know I'm going to get it wrong. Um, I will go, let's see, Bill Guerin, Doug Waite. See, I'm going way far, too far back. I need to go with somebody more recent. Um, a former Blue, 2018. What's his name was still playing by then? Troy Brower was still playing. Oh, what's his name? He wasn't. Yeah. Maybe I'll go with Troy Brower. Another epic battle between Randy and Gabe. Did Gabe win his second in a row? Or did Randy crush his dreams? Andrew, ring the bell.
to you by Optical Expressions, providing St. Louis with top quality eye care and eyewear since 1997. Congratulations, Gabe. You got all four correct today. You beat Randy four to three. Just edged him out four to three. But congratulations, Gabe. That's two in a row tomorrow. You're back for number three. And if you win, you're headed to the Hall of Fame. Oh, my gosh. I cannot believe this. (laughs) Did it come down to the final question again? It did, in fact, come down to the final question Uh, again. Let's run through it. So Patrick Mahomes Sr., he pitched for six Major League Baseball teams. He debuted with the Minnesota Twins in 1992. Dustin Johnson was the 2019 Masters runner-up and ended up winning the Green Jacket the following year in 2020. Tony La Russa is, in fact, the oldest manager in Major League Baseball. And... The former blue that led Team Canada with seven points during the 2018 Winter Olympics was Derek Roy. Oh, yeah. Everybody remembers Derek Roy. (laughs) (laughs) Gabe, great job. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Looking forward to it. Thank you. Thanks, Gabe. Gabe with us. Come on, Randy. You didn't remember Derek Roy? I don't even remember him with the blues, (laughs) let alone on the Canadian Olympic team. Uh, Randy, can I ask you for a favor? Sure. So we get this text from the 636 that says, good morning. My daughter turns 10 today, and it would be awesome if Randy could give her a shout-out. Her name is Emma. She loves listening with me every morning. She loves the fight. Emma, thank you very much for listening. Happy birthday, and we are glad that uh, you are a fan, and we wish you a very happy holiday season. Thank you very much, Emma. And uh, hopefully we can get you a W tomorrow against Gabe. The pressure's on. It is. Do it for Emma. Yeah, it is. There you go. That's a good idea. Do it for Emma. Hey, next up on 101 ESPN, the NFL. Man, it's wide open at the moment. But who is the favorite to win it all? That's coming your way on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Michelle, even after the loss, the shutout loss that the Buccaneers suffered at the hands of the New Orleans Saints last night, Tampa is still the odds-on favorite to win Super Bowl 56 in Los Angeles in mid-February. They're plus 425 at BetMGM, plus 500 at win. Kansas City is second, Green Bay is third. And right now, the way things are going, man, the Chiefs have won seven in a row. The Packers, even though it was close yesterday, they're going to be very tough to beat. If those teams are both home, I don't see Tampa Bay, and I didn't see it last year, and they did. So you have to say that they can do it, and Brady can do it. Mm -hmm. But it's a lot different going into Green Bay on January 30th and January 15th. I was just going to say the same thing. If the Packers have home field advantage, I really like their chances, especially with the way that they've been playing. But again, Randy, this is one of those seasons where the parity and the the things that these teams are dealing with is is really um it's it's changing every week like week to week you even in a Packers win you don't feel super great about the Packers yesterday yes they were missing a lot of people but I also am not super impressed with them be narrowly beating a decimated Ravens team without Lamar Jackson and then the Buccaneers the other team comes out and they get shut out by the Saints so every team that you think has a chance down the stretch here has had games that give you pause. So I think it's it's really going to be intriguing come playoff time because really anything could happen. But there are certain factors like Packers home field yep. advantage that will swing my decision of, of who I think will win. And the Packers are going to get healthier. You talk about how decimated the, the Ravens have been. The Packers lost their left tackle. One of their 
four or five best players on offense. They lost their best defensive player in Jair Alexander in week four. He'll probably be back for their next game. And man, you have Alexander and uh, Douglas and Stokes available in that defensive backfield. And Darnell Savage at safety. You're really looking good there. Kenny Clark got hurt yesterday. That's their best defensive lineman. So that'll be a handful that, that they'll have to deal with if they don't have him back. But I'm with you. I think the weather in Green Bay can make such a difference. The thing is about them, I, I would not be surprised to see Dallas go in and beat Green Bay. I certainly wouldn't be surprised to see Tampa go in. I would be surprised to see Arizona or the Rams go in. Wouldn't be surprised to see San Francisco. Mm-hmm. Jimmy Garoppolo's an Illinois guy. Uh, he, he's played in New England. He's played in the cold weather. They're a cold weather defense and running team. So any of those teams, I would not be surprised to see them beat Green Bay. I think Green Bay is a favorite, but I do think it's wide open. And in the AFC, I actually think the way play Kansas City's playing on both sides of the ball now, if they have Chris Jones, I think they're going to be really tough for anybody to beat at home, whether it's Tennessee. And Tennessee may get Derrick Henry back by then. I think they're the one team that could do it. I don't think that New England can go, can go in there with Mac Jones and win there. I don't think Cincy... As much as I like Indy and the way that they they play playoff football, I don't think they can. I think it's Kansas City or Tennessee in the in the AFC. You mentioned Cincy. We've talked a lot about the Colts and how dangerous they could be if they punch their ticket. What about the Bengals? They're sitting there at eight and six. They're first in the AFC North. Joe Burrow mm-hmm. has has shown you why he was a number one pick. What do you think about the Bengals? And they can run it because of Mixon. I'm just I, I'm not sold on their defense being able to stop. Uh, Mahomes-led offense, or even a, a Derrick Henry team, and they're—I'm not saying they're—they're they're bad. I just don't know if they're great. Well, they play Kansas City on January second, so that's going to be an that interesting test for them. Give the, us an idea, yeah. They close out their season, by the way, with the Ravens, the Chiefs, and the Browns. Yeah, I love their offense, man. You—you you have Burrow, and he's throwing it to. Uh, yesterday, Boyd scored the winning touchdown. Jamar Chase has been great. T. Higgins is great for them. And then mix it in the backfield, and they they can change some things up there. Really good offensive line. I think their offense is set. I think their offense is ready to win. I just don't think their defense is ready, and especially their defensive backfield is ready to win yet. Okay, if we're doing confidence check, I want to go back to the NFC, Randy. What are you, where are you at on the Arizona Cardinals? Because after starting 7-0, they've lost four of their past seven games. And yesterday was their first road loss. Mm-hmm. They had won all of their road games by at least double digits previously. So my confidence level in them has taken a big hit. And they have a lot of injuries dealing with the the loss of J.J. Watt. Now you lose DeAndre Hopkins for the rest of the regular season. I don't feel nearly as good about them. And I love Kyler Murray's talent, but I don't like the structure of his game. He, He throws falling backwards a lot. He seems to take a lot of chances that you can't take against good teams. You can take those against lesser teams you can take those well i was gonna say the lions oh yeah i was gonna say they faced a lesser team this weekend that didn't work out well yeah but i just i i think that his game needs to be more structured and yesterday they lost isaiah simmons too and that was a huge loss for them so i just don't know i i don't feel good about arizona i don't feel nearly as good about them as i did two weeks ago so are your teams right now your two horses the chiefs and the packers yes so uh, Joe Buck brought it up yesterday at the end of their telecast 
that right now the top two seeds, it could be a rematch of Super Bowl one, which took place in L.A. at the Coliseum. Wow. I think if I'm putting my money down, I'm still going Bucks and Pats, despite the games this weekend. I just I think Belichick is finding a way and I'm not going to count out Tom Brady, even though he's throwing tablets yesterday. He was not pleased. Yeah, no, he was not. He and he threw that tablet farther than Mac <laughs> Jones can throw a football. You love the fact that Mac Jones does not he, flash the he's, deep ball. He's Steve Walsh, man. He's he, he's fortunate. And the other thing, by the way, that was discovered by uh, Matt Eberflus the other night is that when you have that Nikhil Harry in a game, he can't catch. The only thing he does is block. So you don't need to bother covering him. All he's going to do is block on running. I don't know why the Patriots bother putting him into games because it doesn't matter how far downfield, he can't catch the ball. And obviously other teams will take a look at that now. They'll look at what Indy did the other night and they'll say, well, if Harry's in the game, they aren't throwing it to him. So it's either going to go to Kendrick Bourne or it's going to go to the one, of the one of the tight ends or Harry's going to block. He's just not very good. So I, I, I'm intrigued. And in, we talk about tough schedules down the stretch. New England, let's see, who do they? They've got Buffalo coming up next week. And Buffalo is there. Well, we saw what happened last time. If the wind is 50 miles an hour in New England, then the Bills are finished. Yeah, so it's the Bills, it's the Jaguars, and then they close out the season with the At Dolphins. Miami. Mm-hmm. So they very easily could finish out with three more wins and finish with uh, a 12-5 season. They'll win their division, but they gave up the opportunity to be home field, and I think that's a big thing in the AFC. That's Michelle. I'm Randy, and coming up next on 101 ESPN, the NHL maybe on its way to a shutdown. Why should the Blues have to play shorthanded, but other teams don't? That's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Opinions matter. Time now for today's big thing with Character and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Brought to you by Together Credit Union. Here for St. Louis. Here to help you achieve more with your money. Nine oh four in St. Louis. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. That's Michelle Smallman. I'm Randy Carricker. And over the weekend, the NHL shut down the Nashville Predators. They have eight COVID positive players and staff members. The Boston Bruins are also shut down. They have ten. The Detroit Red Wings have been shut down with a half dozen. Vancouver has six. They have been shut down. Calgary, Colorado, Florida all shut down. And, Michelle, we get the question a lot on social media, why have the Blues not been shut down for COVID? And the big reason is is that the Blues just haven't had as many COVID cases. The most the Blues have had at any one time, most recently, with Falk, Bennington, and Bozak, was three. And they've never had multiple staff members or more than three players out with COVID. The Blues issue has been... Hockey stuff. It's been injuries to Perron, Wallman, Huso, Neal, uh, Clem Costin, who just started a rehab yesterday, had seven shots at Springfield. So uh, for the Blues, the problem is, is that they've just had injury issues more than anything else. Yeah, it wasn't necessarily an outbreak. Right. One condensed outbreak. They were just dealing with guys being put on the COVID list as well as an unfortunate string of injuries. Couple both of those together. And that's why they had so many people out at, at once. But you know, the, the NHL is in an interesting spot here when you're shutting down six teams and you're stopping games going back and forth from Canada because I'm wondering what the end game is here because it doesn't seem like as we continue into the winter months like this is going to go away. 
and it doesn't seem like the restrictions with Canada is going to change anytime soon. And so I'm wondering how they proceed moving forward after the holiday break. They got through last year by doing something that they should have done by now, and that's having a taxi squad. You had five to eight players available to teams last year that were traveling with them. Heck, Nathan Walker last year played eight games of the 56 with the Blues. He was on their taxi squad all year long. He was traveling, he was practicing. And I don't know why they haven't done that yet, because as Andrew brought up during our break, the fact that you don't get any cap relief and the Blues have to play with 17 skaters is incomprehensible to me. Why does the NHL have a setup where you're penalized for having positive COVID tests? It doesn't make any sense. Yeah, it's through no fault of the teams or of the players. It's just what happens. No, you're absolutely right, and you'd think that they would have more of a... Uh, sense of how to deal with this since they've already been here before. Mm-hmm. This is not our first rodeo. Um, but thankfully, the Blues, from a point standpoint and from a position standpoint, weren't all that affected by it because that could have been really detrimental to them. That could have absolutely railroaded their season. And yeah, they're fortunate that they have the depth that they have and they were able to get through this. Another part of this that I, I wonder as we move forward is for sports teams. We've talked about, they've talked about, sports teams have talked about reaching 85% herd immunity, having people that have either tested positive, had the COVID, or have, and this doesn't appear to be a factor anymore, have been vaccinated. But now you're seeing so many people that are getting it multiple times, not just in hockey, but in sports. I wonder if herd immunity will ever be an effective aspect to this if if we'll if building up antibodies over a period of time is even going to benefit us well and i know that they're shifting the way that testing's happening from week to week to daily because Mm -hmm. it seems like the symptoms aren't lasting as long and even though guys are having to go in for 10 days for the covid protocols that it seems like a lot of people we're hearing from are saying i feel fine i'm not having any symptoms uh you know obviously the league wants to protect everyone and be be safe and keep them there for those 10 days but i wonder is if as the season goes on if this is something that persists if they might even shift that and and say if everybody's okay and everybody's vaccinated, I don't know, Randy, with the with the rate that guys are testing positive, by the time we get to February, everybody in the everybody's league could have it, right. So I don't know. And the NFL, to me, is doing the smart thing. Rather than doing more testing, they're just going to do random, random testing and test three or four guys a week. To me, that's what makes more sense. If there are no side effects that players are dealing with and – Hey, we're all going to have, even if we're vaccinated, we're all going to deal with it. And the idea with the vaccination was you can get the disease still, but you won't have to be hospitalized and you won't have the side effects and you'll still be able to go about your life. Just assume that everybody's going to have it or has had it, right? Mm -hmm. And don't test so much and don't affect your business so much. I think that's the direction to take, the, the, the direction that the NFL is uh is going to take yeah and business is the the thing that they want to protect the most and i understand that especially coming off of i'm sure a lot of leagues are still dealing with the ramifications of 2020 of missing games and of shortened seasons and all of that but from a legal standpoint i wonder if they have to have these protocols in place because 
right now what we're seeing is most people are having low-grade symptoms or mm -hmm. are asymptomatic. It doesn't really seem like it's impacting players all that much. But what if there is that one instance where someone gets very sick and then there's something that happens and the league didn't follow the guidelines or, or what the medical officials mm -hmm. were telling them to do? That's where you get into a, a tricky situation if you're the league. And that's why it needs to be collectively bargained and everybody needs to be on the same page. Tori Krug was asked about the COVID testing yesterday yesterday <laughs> yeah i mean um look I, I understand this is a serious thing and um there's a lot of people that are at risk for this but uh what's going on in today's world we're, we're vaccinated some guys double vaccinated we're healthy uh hockey athletes that um for the most part have a very mild symptoms so it's just uh like i said before everyone's on the same page where we, we want to play and um it's it's disappointing but uh like i said there's certain things out of our control so this is why they became vaccinated, though. And I understand that there's a different country involved here. Canada has different ideas about how to handle this than the United States does. But like he said, ultimately, uh, they all want to play. And if they feel good enough to play and the league is letting them play, then why not? Well, I think... Kyrie Irving is a pretty good example of mm -hmm. just where these yeah. leagues are from a desperation standpoint. Yeah. He obviously was not vaccinated, so he couldn't play in the home games for the Nets. But they were dealing with such an outbreak that the team essentially said, oh, OK, well, we're going to reactivate Kyrie because we mm -hmm. need players. So I and obviously he went into the protocol, so it was a different scenario. But I just think the fact that they even softened their stance on him because they were dealing with an outbreak and they need players to play mm -hmm. these games shows you a little bit where these leagues are at from a, how do we deal with this standpoint? So I want to get I, I don't know if we're on the same page here. I just say let them play if they're vaccinated, let them play and do what the NFL does. And if they do three or four random tests a week, that's fine because the players like Tory Krug said they, they all want to play uh, that's my where I stand I, if they're vaccinated and they want to play and they don't want to be tested I say let them not be tested and let them play uh, let me see my sports <laughs> I understand I want to see the games too and I I think that you have to think of the people around these athletes mm -hmm. too who are, are testing positive but if everybody around them it was mandated that they're vaccinated yep. if you have to be vaccinated to get into the arena isn't the point of doing that so that if you do contract covid you have everything in your body to fight it and the uh ramifications of it won't be so detrimental you're not at risk to die isn't that the the whole point of making everyone around these athletes also protect themselves so it just yeah. feels like we're going through a lot of steps to get to the games but then you're going to shut it down because guys are testing positive i don't know it just seems a little counterintuitive but i understand that the health of everyone is is the first and foremost priority but it does seem like a little bit of a head scratcher if people are okay and the vaccination is theoretically supposed to be a health enhancement it's supposed to pr protect us from the virus and that's why i feel the way that i do i don't i i'm I've never been tested for COVID, not once. And once never. I never, and once I got vaccinated, then I feel like even if I get it and, and I don't feel like I have it, then I'm not going to worry about it. And I, that's the way I feel. And that's the way I, I would think that most athletes feel too. So this one from the 618. And I think that this is what the leagues are probably concerned about it said so just ignore the disease for the sake of money till someone dies and then every media outlet will be criticizing said league well yes but that's why 
we worked so hard as a country and especially as a uh, a medical society to develop a virus and yes there is always the possibility that somebody that is a professional athlete that's in great condition could get vaccinated contract the virus and die could happen likelihood very 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 low so yeah that's ultimately they are in it to make money and that's that's what the, that's why the NFL is playing all these games because they want to make money but in general Brady's 44 he's the oldest athlete going 44 year olds 20 to 44 year olds that are vaccinated the likelihood of them even feeling side effects is really really low and with all these new variants popping up and well i say all of these but there's been variants delta omicron all these things that are happening we're entering 2022 we're two years now of this i just wonder at what point the leagues are going to say this is just something that's going to be part of our daily lives and Mm -hmm. we can't continue to disrupt our business because of it and players are tired of it too the leagues are thinking the way that you're saying exactly and the players are saying hey i just want to play I don't feel bad. I want to play, right? That's the way pretty much every athlete seems to be. The 217 says make them sign a waiver that they'll play at their own risk. Well, they pretty much do anyway. I don't know if they have to sign one. Everybody knows if you're playing football, and I don't know if the COVID is part of this, but when you sign off on your football contract, that's part and parcel of what you do. But if the leagues are concerned about that from Mm -hmm. a legal standpoint or from a um, public perception standpoint, if they were to sign something... Like, for instance, Kyrie Irving is a good example. If you're unvaccinated and you're playing at your own risk, knowing that you're traveling Mm -hmm. and that you could be exposed to this and something happens, that's your choice. And you have signed this legal document that says it's your choice. And I don't know what the language is in the collective bargaining agreements that allow for this. But this might already be covered by their union deals. I'm not sure. I don't know. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. And that's today's big thing on 101 ESPN. Coming up, the Cardinals are bringing up some young guys. And some of the young guys that they brought up haven't worked. Are they being too optimistic about the kids that they have right now? That's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Carriker and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. The Cardinals were hoping that people like Tyler O'Neill and Harrison Bader and Dylan Carlson would come through in 2021, and ultimately, they did. They got decent work out of Edmundo Sosa. They got pretty good work out of their second baseman, Tommy Edmund, and they have more youngsters on the horizon. Herrera behind the plate. Uh, They really like their young pitchers, especially Matthew Libertor and Zach Thompson, who will come along, and they have Nolan Gorman. They have uh, Jordan Walker, they, Juan Yepes, they have several young players. And Michelle, this is a year where the Cardinals want to win. They have some veteran players that aren't going to be around after 2022. Guys like Yadier Molina and Adam Wainwright. So for this particular year, are the Cardinals counting too much on those kids if they don't go out and get a Schwarber or uh, Jock Peterson to be their DH? If they don't go out and get another starting pitcher, if they don't fortify their bullpen with veteran arms, 
Do you think the kids can do it? And if if they don't, will that reflect badly on the Cardinals? I don't know if going out and getting a, a Kyle Schwarber type player will really be the thing that makes or breaks this Cardinals team. But I do understand wanting to get somebody a veteran guy in there who's done it before, more of a proven guy. I think that's what fans would like. However, I don't think the Cardinals are too optimistic about their future or overranking their prospects, overhyping them, because Baseball America is ranking Jordan mm-hmm. Walker as the number one prospect. I mean, this these are a consensus thoughts throughout baseball on how good these young players would be. This is not just John Mosellock and Michael Gersh talking up a Matthew Libertor. We're talking about people whose sole job is to evaluate prospects, saying that these guys are going to be impact players uh, for the Cardinals and for baseball in general. But I think the, the bigger question for me is, when is the correct time to let the the kids play as they say because you would like these guys to come up and get that seasoning you would like them to get the runway to show what they could do but if they're not ready is that going to be a detriment to the team it's all about finessing the right time they've had essentially three years don't even count the COVID. don't count 20. so it's two years 19 and 21 were essentially transition years where they were moving from one group of core players to another. And Tyler O'Neill certainly became a core player. I think every logical observer looks at Dylan Carlson and says, okay, he can be a core player. Then you added Arenado to Goldie. So you do have your core set for 2022. And this should be the year that they win, that they do really well. And that's why they signed Mats. The Cardinals do a magnificent job of evaluating young talent. One of their problems is that they get rid of the wrong guys <laughs> at times. Sure. But when you look at the people that they've had in their organization, like Alcantara, obviously we all know about Randy Rosarena, uh, a guy like uh, Adolis Garcia, they can go out and find young talent. I don't have any trouble. I don't. I think the Cardinals are fine with their optimism for their young kids. I just wish they could keep more of them around. Yeah, that's that's the thing is evaluating the guys correctly on who you want to keep in house and who you want to deal. Uh, we had our list of guys who played for the Cardinals but who are killing it elsewhere. Power mm-hmm. rankings this past season and at the end of the season because there there were certainly points where Patrick Wisdom was killing it or finished top five in the National League Rookie of the Year voting. There was. There there was a lot of guys who had their moments or who had success but when it came down to it at the end of the year did you feel more comfortable or were you okay with the guys the Cardinals chose to hang on to again Randy Rosarena and let's throw Alcantara in that mix but in totality we had a list of like 12 guys and at the end of the season I think we felt pretty comfortable with the guys that the Cardinals held on to so even though there are some players that they shipped out that ultimately you would ultimately you would like to have back I think with the reinforced thought process of we need to know these guys better than anybody else Mm -hmm. and we're not going to trade someone unless we're really comfortable in doing so i think that i have confidence in the team to play play the right guys and hang on to the right guys here's one reason that we should be comfortable with the cardinals ability to bring their players up through their system of the top four vote getters for national league rookie of the year the cardinals had two of them Dylan Carlson, obviously with the Cardinals, Patrick Wisdom with the Cubs. In the American League, Arozarena won, and Adolis Garcia was fourth. So of the top eight rookies in Major League Baseball in 2021, the Cardinals developed four of them, half of them. Wow. So you should feel pretty good 
if you're a Cardinal fan, about the guys that are coming along and just hope that they don't trade a Yepes, that they don't trade a Gorman, that they don't trade a Libertor, that they don't trade a Jordan Walker. And I don't think they will because you don't want Matthew Libertor to go somewhere and become Sandy Alcantara. I would imagine that after the Randy Rose ran a deal, they're going to hang on to him and see what I he would can think turn so into. too. They better, right? Yeah, I would think so. Or let's reframe it. If the Cardinals were willing to part with one of those players, it's because they're probably getting something pretty valuable in yeah. return. And maybe it's at the trade deadline. Who knows what would be coming back? But I would mm-hmm. imagine it would not only satisfy a need, but push them further into being a World Series contender. Well, and here's what excites me. And let's compare and contrast and relate what the Cardinals are trying to do to what the Blues have done a couple of times now. And right now they're doing it with kids. They're transitioning into a core of Thomas, Kairou, Perunovic, Pareko, young Bennington still, 26, young players that they have developed. They've transitioned from one winning core to another with guys from their system. If the Cardinals in three years have Herrera behind the plate and either Sosa or DeYoung at short and Edmund at second and Jordan Walker at third, probably at first because mm-hmm. in three years, Arenado will still be there. And then the outfield that you have now, and then you have a pitching staff that includes a Hudson and hopefully a Flaherty and a Libertor that you traded for and a Zach Thompson. And then Hopefully Jordan Hicks can survive as your closer. If you can develop a new core while your your current core gets older, that's the goal. That's what you want to do. And if the Cardinals can do that and keep winning, then kudos to them. I think that's great. And I really do like the way that when they needed a, a guy like Arenado, they went out and got him. And then if he should get hurt, Jordan Walker right now is a third baseman. And if Arenado fades, you need to make him a DH. You bring up Jordan Walker to play third, that would be pretty cool. And they're cost-controlled. Yeah, and the Cardinals have had trouble developing sluggers. And it appears now with Gorman and Walker specifically that they have a couple of sluggers on the horizon. And making the trade for Tyler O'Neill benefited them too. When Jordan Walker is talked about in the same breath as Oscar Tavares and Albert Pujols, I'm intrigued. I am too. I can't wait to see him play. And... Hopefully he'll be back at Springfield. Well, Memphis is only a four-hour drive, too. This would be a fun year to go watch the Cardinals triple-A team mm-hmm. or double-A team because they've got so many guys. That's Randy. I Or that's Michelle. I'm Randy. That's what it is. You are Randy. I am. And coming up next, you're killing me, Smalls. I'm 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> What's totally killing Smalls right now? You're killing me, Smalls. You're killing me, Smalls, with Michelle Smallman on 101 ESPN. Brought to you by BMW of West St. Louis. They make a BMW attainable for anyone who wants one. It is time for... You're killing me, Smalls. Randy, you remember last week when Urban Meyer got fired? Oh, yeah, I remember it well. Yeah, it didn't even last a year, only 11 months in Jacksonville. Well, he spoke um, on Friday about his exit from Jacksonville. He spoke to NFL Network. He said he was heartbroken about the way this all went down. Wait, the NFL Network broke the story that he was having trouble with his coaches and Marvin Jones. Yeah, well, they just reported the truth. 
Well, he obviously, that's nice of him. Yeah, he spoke with NFL Network, and here's what he said. He said, I just apologized to Jacksonville. I love Jacksonville. It's one of the reasons I took the job. I still think Shad Khan's a great owner. It's heartbreaking. I just had a dream of it becoming a destination place with a new facility he agreed to build, and someday to walk into that stadium where it's standing room only because I know how bad the people of Jacksonville want it. So I'm just heartbroken that we weren't able to do that. I still believe it's going to be done. It's too good of a place. At that point, he was probably still thinking that uh, Shad Khan and the Jaguars would pay him. Now reports that the Jaguars feel like they fired him for cause and do not want to pay the remainder of his contract. So that that's my guess is that he was pro- probably trying to, to play nice. I also got the sense, Michelle, tell me if you agree with this, that he had a somewhat overinflated sense of self and didn't respect how good the NFL is. Oh, Yes, I will definitely take that. But I also think when you've had a lot of success in your life, you that comes with the mentality that you can conquer anything. Mm-hmm. And what I think a lot of people fail to realize is that that takes time. And a lot of times there's going to be a calibration period and you're going to have to learn just like everybody else. Right. It's not going to just be immediate. Um, but you know what I really don't understand is if you love Jacksonville so much, why weren't you taking the team plane home? Why were you staying question. in Ohio? Why did you have your bar in Ohio? Seems like you love Ohio a lot more. Yeah, right. Maybe Ohio and Nebraska love him a lot more. <laughs> that statement just seems like the biggest suck up statement I've ever heard. Well, yeah. you know what it, it doesn't say anything about is about the players that you were kicking and your assistant coaches that you were degrading. Yeah. You know, you're talking about the fans, you're talking about the city, you're talking about the owner. And nowhere in that statement do I hear any contrition towards the people that you allegedly tormented. No. Yeah. He, the people that have the money, yeah, think they're great. But the people that uh, you did torment, yeah, don't have anything to say about them. The fans, a.k.a. the public, who I'm going to try to win over when I inevitably try to get another job. Yeah. How could they have screwed that up so badly? And by the way, now... I know that uh, Jim Caldwell is 67 years old, but he's also as steady a hand as there could be. I would seriously consider hiring Jim Caldwell if I were shot. Now, you got to interview Byron Leftwich because he's a Jacksonville icon, played quarterback there, and he's one of the hot coordinators. But they just need a steady hand at the helm. I'll tell you what else I would do if I were shot, Khan. And maybe some of Shad's people are listening at the moment. I would go to Dick Vermeil for advice and say, what should I do here? Because Dick Vermeil walked into a completely dysfunctional franchise and was able to straighten it out and get people going the right direction. And that's what they appear to need in Jacksonville. Uh, It's an ownership with good intentions. It has no clue as to how to go about winning. And they need to make the right hire. They do. You always, after a situation like this, need to make the right hire. You need to provide some stability and and a a winning culture, especially after a disaster like this. But when you have the most valuable resource in sports, which is what seems to be not only a franchise quarterback, but a transcendent quarterback, you cannot mess that up. And a guy who appears to know more about the dynamics of the NFL than the coach did, than Urban Meyer did. Certainly had more maturity. Yeah, definitely. And more poise. Yeah, so he, don't I'm, mess this I'm up. You. Don't mess this up. No, do, and that's another reason that you go with a guy. If if you're me, Caldwell was around Peyton Manning, 
And then obviously Manning got hurt and they fired him after Manning got hurt. But you also have his history with Matthew Stafford and he had three winning seasons with the Lions. Nobody has three winning seasons with the Lions. No, that's impressive. No, so that's one of the reasons that if he's not my head coach, I'm taking a serious look at him. You're killing me, Small. Well, speaking of Peyton Manning, you love the Manning cast, right? Yeah, great. I love the Manning cast. Well, you might want to savor it because it could be gone. No. Yes, according to CBS NFL insider Jason Lockenfor, Peyton Manning is, quote, very interested in an ownership stake in the Denver Broncos and also could have a role in management if he's part of that ownership team. Here's a quote from the report. Sources said former Broncos star quarterback Peyton Manning is very interested in a potential ownership piece in the franchise and a possible role in serving in management. He's already had discussions with Several of the groups expected to be favorites to land the team and his strong ties to Denver, where his family has lived since his playing days and the universal respect throughout the football world would be a boon to any potential ownership group aligned with him. That would be really interesting to watch. Does an ownership group that includes Peyton Manning keep John Elway around? He's right now the overseer of football operations, even though he's not involved in the day-to-day. Took a step back, yeah. Yeah, he's he's still there. I wonder if with a new organization, by the way, John Elway brought Peyton Manning to Denver. Correct. I wonder if the new ownership, if Peyton Manning is part of the management structure, if he would want the same job that John Elway has right now. Well, I would try to keep John Elway in the organization in some way, shape, or form. I think you have to. I, I was certainly wouldn't want to burn that bridge or alienate someone like him. Um, and if I'm Peyton Manning, I would want to learn from him. I would, I, if that's a role that I hope to occupy, I would certainly want yeah. to have him around to teach me the ropes. What, what worked for you? What didn't work for you? I don't see Peyton Manning go, doing the early John Elway route of going out on the road. And you remember that report mm-hmm. about him? He was making waffles in the waffle iron, uh, you know, scouting players. I don't see Peyton Manning doing that. I imagine his would be more of an overseer role because you know he's going to have his hand in a lot of stuff. But I don't know. I, I would certainly keep him around in, in some sort of capacity. And I do think it would be great for the NFL to have Peyton Manning in an ownership capacity because he seems like a logical, level-headed guy. And he brings the star power. Yeah, he does. But the Manning cast. I know. I thought that might go to Amazon next year. But if he's in the ownership group, he's yeah. not going to be broadcasting. going to have to be Eli and Arch. Hmm. Eli and friends. That'd be fun. We can we can make things happen. That would be fun. Now Peyton obviously is the one chair in that mm-hmm. uh, operation. Do you think Eli could be the driver? I think he would be. That'd be a disservice to Eli's dry sense of humor. I agree. He's very much well set up to be a two. Yeah, because if you're the number one guy, you can't be flipping off America. And right? if, if you're the one, you're worried about navigating. He's yeah. worried about watching the game and interviewing, but also bringing in the analysis and prompting people to speak. There's a lot more you're thinking of, whereas Eli could just sit back and, as you said, throw in the one-liners. He's the smart aleck little brother. It's, totally the smart aleck little brother. It's great. And he's getting his own deal, you know, where they're going yeah. around for college football. But the Manning cast is one of the best things to come out of yeah. the media landscape in a long time. And as much as I would love to see Peyton Manning be in the ownership side of things, I would miss the Manning cast. Yeah, I would too. You're killing me, Smalls. One more story, Randy. How do you feel about Jumbo on proposals? Um, I can take them or leave them. I know that you hate them. 
Yeah, I don't like them. For me personally. Yeah. Not for anyone else. If that's what you want to do, great. Mm-hmm. But I don't want to ugly cry in a Jumbotron. Right. That's just not my jam. Totally get it. But uh, our Dolphins, during the win yesterday over the Jets, had someone who wanted to propose on the Jumbotron. And it flashes up there. It's a picture of the happy couple. It says, Christine, will you marry me? And then they cut to the couple because they knew where they were sitting in Hard Rock Stadium. Mm -hmm. And the guy wasn't there. He was either in the bathroom (laughs) or getting a snack. And it was just the girl sitting there alone with her hand over her mouth. (laughs) So he pays the money, gets it all set up to get them on the Jumbotron so he can propose. And then he misses the moment. That's pretty stupid. Isn't that a bummer? Yeah, it is. But he should have known. Because I'm. they tell you when that's going to pop up. They, so. they give, I mean, we did it with the Battle Hawks and we gave the guy a general time. This yeah, is when right. Megan's going to come to you. Get get ready because this is the way it's going to get set up yeah. and this is your moment. There was one last week where the woman proposed on the Jumbotron to, to the man. And I think he felt pressured and said yes. Well, I hope it works she out was, for them. She was asking basically for a commitment. Well, did she get down on one knee? I don't believe so, no. I think they just let the Jumbotron speak for itself. Also, shout out to the Blues, who got a lot of love nationally over the weekend for their um, Christmas time lookalikes. You know, they do the lookalikes yeah, uh-huh. on the Jumbotron. That video went viral, and I was pumped for them because they do a great job with those. Yeah, they're fantastic. Thank you, Michelle. You're welcome. Coming up, uh, we're going to cross things over towards the uh, Danny Mac show here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> Time now for the crossover on 101 ESPN. It is Christmas week, and whatever the reason, here's what you got, Michelle. You've got a 4 o'clock game between the Raiders and Browns Mm -hmm. this afternoon. And then tonight, you've got the Vikings and Bears. And then tomorrow on the Two Fox, and I verified this with Martin Kilcoin, they are going to have another game for you at 6. We'll have the Seahawks-Rams with Washington and the Eagles are playing as well. I really like the idea of Christmas week, and I know it's Capital One Bowl week. I love the idea of having NFL games every day this week. So tell me, would you be buying into this if it was going to happen Christmas week? You have a game not only Monday and Tuesday, but Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, too. I'm totally in because I give this more to talk about. Yeah. Well, and it's there's some entertainment. <laughs> and I'm selfish. Sometimes there are going to be bowl games where I really don't care. I'll do respect. Like, I can find... Nine times out of ten, I'm, I'm uninterested in a bowl matchup unless I have an emotional tie or it's a really good matchup. But there's so many of them, especially early on, that you're like, eh. Right. Do I really care about this? So no. we've already started. Did you know that Unless we've already started? Putting some shillings on it. Uh, okay. Uh, the tail greeter cure bowl. I'm sorry. Say played. that again. The tail greeter cure bowl. Tail greeter. Tail T A I L G R E E T E R. Tail greeter cure bowl. Is that one word or two? Uh, that's one word. You know what? We should we should play bowl or not a bowl. I know. The thing is, I'm going to read a bunch of them. I know, I know. The Walmart greeter. (laughs) So, uh, Coastal Carolina beat Northern Illinois 47-41 in the Tail Greeter Cure Bowl. These are games that have already been played. The Bahamas Bowl, always a favorite. Yeah, love that one. Middle Tennessee over Toledo, 31-24. Shout out. Saturday, you had the Roof Claim. Roof Claim. The Roof? roofclaim Roofclaim.com. Boca Raton Bowl. (laughs) Roofclaim.com. 
Western Kentucky over App State, 59-38. You had the Cricket Celebration Bowl. I watched that one the other day. Jackson State got hammered by South Carolina State, 31-10. I don't watch that game unless Deion Sanders is the coach at Jackson State. Correct, same. Uh, the PUBG Mobile New Mexico Bowl has already been played. PUBG. PUBG. I don't have any idea what it stands Stand for. Stand by. I'll find out. Okay. Fresno State beat UTEP. UTEP. We've had competitive games. Fresno State 31, UTEP 24. And then the Radiance Technologies Independence Bowl, UAB beat BYU 31-28. The Lending Tree Bowl. Can you find it? It's Players Unknown Battleground. Kind of weird. Oh, it's a video game. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I know what that is. That one's for the kids. The Lending yeah. Tree Bowl was not competitive. Liberty over Eastern Michigan, 56 to 20. The Jimmy Kimmel, Kimmel LA Bowl has been played already. Yeah, that's right. Presented by Stiefel, St. Louis based Stiefel. Uh, at, at SoFi. At SoFi. Great job, Stiefel. Yeah. Uh, we love you. We love SoFi. We love the guy who built SoFi Stadium. Yeah, great. I think the Walmart Greeter Bowl. At SoFi Stadium makes more sense. Yes, it does, it does yeah. Andrew. Great call. So in the Jimmy Kimmel Bowl, presented by Stiefel, uh, Utah State beat Oregon State 24-13. And in the R&L Carriers New Orleans Bowl, already played, it was Louisiana over Marshall 36-21. So today you've got the Myrtle Beach Bowl, Old Dominion and Tulsa. That's at 2-30. Mm-hmm. You've got the famous Idaho Bowl tomorrow. That's going to be awesome, Kent State and Wyoming. And you're going to have interference from NFL games. Tropical Smoothie Cafe Frisco Bowl tomorrow. Uh, Tropical you, Smoothie Cafe Frisco Bowl? The Tropical smooth, Smoothie Cafe Frisco Bowl. <laughs> That's just ridiculous. Yeah. Texas San it's Antonio, mouthful. we know them well, against, remember? <sighs> yeah, I, I do remember, Randy. Okay. Yes, I do against remember. So my point is, is that I'd rather watch... Tomorrow, an NFL game, even if it includes the Los Angeles Rams, because they're going to lose, and the Seattle Seahawks, I'd rather watch them than watch UTSA again against San Diego State in the Tropical Smoothie Cafe Frisco Bowl. So give me NFL all week long. I'm with you. The Tropical Smoothie Cafe Frisco Bowl is a a hard pass for me. I've seen enough of UTSA for one season. Mm -hmm. Um, No disrespect to them. Great game. Congratulations on your victory over Illinois. Yeah, great. Um, but I'm with you. I would much rather watch NFL games than a lot of these bowl games that I have no interest in. By the way, Capital Bowl Week has only one bowl game on Wednesday, and it conflicts directly with the McBride Holmes Bragg and Rights game. Which is such a shame. It's Mizzou and Army. I know. At 8 o'clock in the Lockheed Martin Armed Forces Bowl That's down right. in Fort Worth. And then you've got the Bragg and Rights game here, Mizzou and Illinois. But they're both on TV at the same time. Do you think Mizzou will lose both of those games or only the basketball game? I think they have a chance in the football game. But we still don't don't, don't know who the quarterback is going to be. But the basketball game, they're going to get drilled. I hope so. I, say, I, thought, they were, I thought Illinois was going to win last year, and they didn't. I think so Illinois wins it by 20. It's a rivalry game, neutral court. Yeah, just like Mizzou and uh, Kansas was a rivalry game. Yeah, that's true. Yikes. 37, I think. Not great. So anyway, uh, that's my question for you today, and we'll ask it again tomorrow. By the way, think about this today, and we'll want mic drops tomorrow. We're going to talk to Mark Sauer early tomorrow at 730. It was, Michelle, 25 years ago this week that the Blues fired Mike Keenan and Jack Quinn and named Mark Sauer as their president. We're going to ask Mark Sauer about everything that, uh, from his perspective, led up to that firing, but we want... People to weigh in with mic drops and texts tomorrow. So you got all day to think about this. What was it about Mike Keenan that you hated the most? Well, because he's 
one of the three most hated people in St. Louis sports history. What was it about Mike Keenan that made you hate him the most? Send us a mic drop. We want to hear your voice on this one. And you have time to think about it. So uh, do that for tomorrow. Great job by our producer engineer, Andrew Marsh. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Michelle, this was great. It was, Randy. I'll see you tomorrow. Happy Monday. Happy holidays, everybody. For all of us, thanks for tuning in, texting in, and being a part of the show. Till tomorrow morning at 7. Have a great day, St. Louis. That was the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN.